Good morning. Happy 4th of July. It is good to, to be with you all this morning. My name is Michael Mayo. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we got to read a handful of passages uh, this morning, as we always do. And as we read these passages, I appreciate how the Bible is honest. The Bible talks about real people who live real lives in the same real world as you and me. It does not sugarcoat things, does not hide their problems. It's not like an Instagram feed where the person will only post the most flattering pictures of themselves. If you read it, you think everything is great and it hides all the places of, of pain. But that's not what we see when we read the word of, of, of God. Uh, the passages that we read today would probably not be posted on social media. In Ezekiel 2, he's essentially uh, given a call from God that says, your whole life's work is going to bear no fruit. No one is going to listen to you ever. That's not the kind of thing that you probably want to share with all of your friends. Or in our psalm reading today, we read how they're enduring more than the psalmist can bear, and he's just waiting for God to at some point have mercy on him. He's coming from a place of misery, not the kind of thing you share on Instagram. Or in the gospels today, perhaps some of the previous gospels we've read would make the cut, where we read how Jesus stilled a storm, or cast out a legion of demons out of one man, or last week, how Jesus even raised a girl from the dead. But probably not today, when Jesus goes to his hometown with the people who could have changed his diapers, who watched him grow up, and rejected his life and his work. That probably wouldn't make the cut e either. And if you're like me, you probably have parts of your own life story that you wouldn't want to be a part of your Facebook story. But our passage in 2 Corinthians today, it's an invitation as we meditate it upon it to reconsider how we look at these hard moments that we tend not to want to share. So that's the invitation that we have this morning is how do we look upon these hard but honest moments of our lives? So at this point in this letter, Paul is defending himself against his, his rivals. He's saying that the gospel ministry that I've done among you is genuine, but these other people who he facetiously is calling the super apostles are saying, no, Paul is an imposter. He's inferior to us in every way. Can't you see all these bad things that happened to him? He must be weak. And as we read this passage and what comes before it, it would be easy for us to think that this is a past beef that has no relevance for our present life. But that is not what Paul says. In fact, if we re read ahead to verse uh, 19 in chapter 12, he says, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to, to you, which is to say, have you been thinking that I've been writing this only to justify myself? He says, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Why has he been doing all of this? And all for your upbuilding. So for Paul, the way he writes about this is not just to justify himself, it's to build us up in Jesus. Now, why is that so? 
I think Paul wants to dispute the claims of his opponents because he's concerned that they distort the gospel. He's concerned that if the Corinthians or we with them follow the premises of his opponents, we'll lose sight of the grandeur of God's glory. So Paul is at pains here for us to see that God's power is not displayed in our strength, but perfected in our weakness. That God's power is not displayed in our strength, but perfected in our weakness. So that is what we'll look at this morning as we look at this passage. So first, God is not displayed through our strength. Uh, We'll say, what, what is Paul talking about here? Why is this not how it works, and what does it look like in our lives? So what is Paul talking about here in these first few verses? Uh, Well, he's addressing the claims of his opponents, and he's kind of doing a yes and. He's answering a fool according to their folly. He's going along with the line of reasoning that they had to show how absurd they were. And that's what he's doing as we catch him here in verse two. So verses two through four say, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So what is happening here? What's this talk of three heavens? It's kind of confusing. Essentially, in the day of Paul, people would have thought of like, our universe is multi-layered, so the first heaven, think uh, sky where the birds are. The second heaven, think space where the sun and stars are. Third heaven, think an invisible realm where God dwells. So what Paul is saying is he know a guy who had a vision, who had some supernatural experience in which he came before the very presence of God. Now, to me, that would seem like a great credit to this person. That, to me, would seem like this is a reason why I should follow this person. That sounds awesome. But Paul says no. Now, why is this not a way in which God chiefly displays his strength? Because it sounds amazing. So the first reason why not is because it doesn't build up others. If we read in verse four, he says, uh, he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. In essence, this vision that this person had could not be conveyed to other people. It was only for him. And it would make sense that if you have an experience so sublime of God that words could not do it justice, just as a picture of the Grand Canyon could not do justice to the real thing, I imagine that if you had a supernatural encounter with God like that, your words could not do justice to what you experienced. So this is not a way God's power is chiefly displayed because it can't be shared with other people. So the first reason why he says this vision is not a a way for God to be chiefly glorified is because it can't be shared with others. The other reason he says is that it builds up the wrong thing. So in in verse 7 he says, uh, so to keep me from being conceited, which suggests that this encounter would have led to him being conceited. This spiritual encounter would have been prone uh, to artificially build up the person who had it as opposed to rightfully building up God himself. It's not bad 
but it can lead him to becoming, think that he received it because of his worthiness, not because of God's grace. I imagine it's like perhaps you've met a, a kid who was bragging about how many gifts they got for their birthday as if it meant that they were so great, when in reality it just goes to show how much their parents lo love them. This is not the means to which God's power is chiefly displayed because though it is a way of God expressing his love, it can easily become uh, turned in on our own self-love. And thirdly, we see how it's not the chief means that God would use to convey his power by how Paul distances himself from this experience. At the beginning of our passage here in verse 2, Paul kind of refers to this person in the third person. He says, I know a man, I know a guy. But if we go on to verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, making it clear that Paul was this person in question that had this spiritual experience. Why would Paul distance himself from this experience as if he did right here? I think he, he did that as uh, it says in verse 6. He says, uh, so that others may not think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul is saying, I don't want the power of God to be a secondhand experience that leads to others looking at me. I want the power of God to be something people experience and that is demonstrated in their own lives. And so this spiritual encounter, this strength perhaps of the super apostles that had claimed they should be listened to because of this amazing uh, visions that they had, uh, Paul is saying that's actually not a good reason. That's not the way in which God's power is made ma manifest because it can't be conveyed well to other people. It leads to you building up your own self and it leads others to looking to you instead of to God. So what could this look like in our own lives? Because while some of us may have had ecstatic spiritual experiences, perhaps most of us have not. Well, one, this pushes uh, back against this idea that success proves our legitimacy before God. In, in essence, that's what Paul's opponents were saying. They're saying because we have all these credentials, because we've had all these ministry successes, because we've had all these supernatural experiences, we are great and y'all should follow us. This is what it looks like to be a minister of the gospel. But Paul says no. In essence, what those opponents are saying is a permutation of the prosperity gospel, which says that God's divine blessing on our own lives is manifested in material blessings in our own lives. And while most of us would probably agree that God is more than just a divine peddler of earthly goods, it's easy for us to believe a slightly different version of this when we look at ourselves. So if you are a Christian with us this morning, you are a minister of the gospel. You may not be ordained like me and James, but Paul says that everyone in Christ is an ambassador, is a representative of the kingdom of God. So we're all called to do ministry in some way. And so the question is, what makes us look like a good minister? What makes you a good minister at work 
or in a home or at school, it would be easy for us to think that God can only be glorified in our work if we meet or exceed all of our performance goals while like being super nice to everyone and super Christian to everyone at the same time. Or if we're a parent, perhaps it's easy to believe that God can only be glorified through my parenting if I never get mad at my kids, if I like do spiritual things like prayer and reading the Bible with them, and if my kids like behave well or something. If I do all of those things, then God will be demonstrated to be a good God. Or maybe if you're a student, you might think, gosh, God can only be glorified through me if I'm not like anxious or depressed or if I like have all of the answers or if I never get into to trouble. It's easy for us to believe that we must be seen as great for God to be seen as good. It's easy for us to think that unless if we are strong, God's power will not be shown. And Paul says that that is not the case here. Now this does not mean that fruitfulness is unimportant. It does not mean that faithfulness is unimportant. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't use our strengths. But it does mean if we see our strengths and are being strong as a prerequisite for God's power to be at work in our lives, it means we're deeply mistaken. Because when we trust in our own strength, it leads not only others, but also ourselves to ourselves instead of to God. So whether uh, our strengths be supernatural experiences or natural abilities, Paul says God's power is not made perfect through our strength. And when we do this, we often want to be strong, we want to be strong so we can live apart from God. That's often what we want. If I'm strong, then I won't need God. But P Paul says instead, instead of that how God's power is displayed, God's power is instead perfected in our weakness. And we see that in verses seven to 10 in our passage. So in those verses, we'll look at the same questions. What is Paul talking about? Why is this the case? And what does this look like in our lives? So what's Paul talking about when he talks about this thorn? Well, just as a splinter would be annoying and even painful if not removed, this thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about is a nagging, enduring hardship in his life. And scholars agree on what it is not. They agree that it is not some pattern of sin. Because God said that he'll leave us, he's going to leave Paul with this thorn. But God does not want us to stay in sin. So that's probably not what he's talking about when he's talking about the thorn. So scholars agree it's not some sin, but they don't agree on what it actually is. They say it could be something psychological, like anxiety or depression. They say maybe it's something physical, like some chronic illness or some chronic malady. Or maybe it's something circumstantial. It's like hardships or persecutions that he was experiencing. So because Paul doesn't specify what exactly this thorn is, it's probably best for us not to speculate on what it is either. Instead, it would be good for us to ask what might be those equivalents in our lives? What are the thorns in our lives? Those uh, hardships, those things, be it 
psychological or physical or circumstantial that we so deeply want to get rid of but have not seen them leave our lives? Perhaps that's a better question for us to ask than asking what is the nature of Paul's thorn? And these things, whatever that thorn is for you, it's challenging. And indeed, Paul says that it was uh, given as an instrument, that it could be used as an instrument of Satan. And that's hard for us to wrap our head around because earlier he said that just like the divine vision that Paul received, this was given to him by God. Now it's easy for us to imagine how God might give us a vision or something because that seems like a good thing. But why would God give us a thorn? Why would God give us something that we want nothing to do with, especially when Paul says that at times it was used as a messenger of Satan? It's hard to keep those two things in tension. And I think we can get a better sense of it if we look at how Eugene Peterson renders this in his message translation. He says, so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down, but what he in fact did was push me to my knees. So we see how this can be a way in which God's power is displayed in our lives. Because even though the vision is a good thing that can become a challenge in terms of our pride, this thorn that Paul talks about was a challenging thing that can become a good thing. And in that way, these hard things become the canvas that God can use to demonstrate his, his power. And so, in some ways, this is like uh, Phil Hansen, who's an artist, he says that he developed a nerve condition that led to him having a shaky hand such that he could no longer uh, do his art. And he talks about this in a TED Talk. And at one point, a doctor who diagnosed him tells him to just embrace the shake. Embrace the shakiness of your hand. And as he embraced that limit that he had, he found in new ways his creative powers came to light. And in a, in, a, in a similar way, our weaknesses reveal the limitations that we have. That's what a weakness is. It's a limit in some way that is on our life. Yet God's power is demonstrated in powerful ways through our limits that could not be displayed otherwise. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, it does not look like justifying our own sin or laziness as an excuse for God to be glorified. As we mentioned earlier, Paul's thorn was not a pattern of sin. Moreover, it does not mean that we should just accept or resign ourselves to being a victim of injustice or abuse. If you are experiencing abuse of any kind, by all means, make every effort available to seek help. Though it's not the same in any way, when Paul was persecuted, he took advantage of every legal recourse he had to make things right and to bring people to, to justice. So uh, enduring our thorn is also not just uh, accepting being a victim. But it does mean it changes how we see the thorns in our lives. 
Our society does not really give a place for weakness or hardship. And it will always be natural to avoid those things. And indeed, we shouldn't try to make ourselves martyrs. But at the same time, if we look at these words from Paul, these parts of our own lives, these stories that we would never want to share, when we come before God, when we bring our weak bodies, our weary minds, and our difficult circumstances before him, when we throw ourselves upon God, we can experience God's power in new ways. We can experience God's power to us, and we can experience God's power through us. Because God's power is not displayed when we are strongest, but when we are weakest, trusting in his strength. Those moments that we might be least inclined to share on social media can become those moments that most clearly show God's gracious hand when we bring them to him. Now this may seem too good to to be true. It may be hard to believe that God's grace can do something like that, that God's grace is in fact enough, as Paul says. But Paul says that Christ's power rests on us in our weakness. And though we might not make our weakness part of our Facebook story, God has made it part of his own story. The word rest upon in verse 10 can be literally translated as to dwell with. It's related to the word that John uses at the beginning of his gospel to say that Jesus dwelt among us. When he says that Jesus embraced our weakness and our limits to live with us. And just as Paul prayed three times for his thorn to be taken away, Jesus prayed three times for for the same thing. And just as God did not take it away from Paul, he did not take it away from Jesus either. So instead, Jesus had thorns on his hands, on his head, and his side was pierced. In his hometown, he was rejected, but on the cross, he was mocked mocked for being too weak to save himself. And yet that moment of his greatest weakness became the moment God's power has been chiefly displayed as he defeated sin and death. So as Revelation says, we can dwell with him and he with us forever. We by our own nature want to be strong so we can live apart from God. But God became weak so we could live with him. So instead of just trying to escape or overcome our weakness, I invite us in the meantime also to entrust them to God. And instead of looking to our own strength, receive God's grace and look for the ways in which his power can be displayed and shared in the tenderest moments of our lives. Please pray with me. God, we acknowledge that we all want to be strong in our own ways. Give us the grace instead to bring our weakness before you, to cry out to you, God, that we might see your power be used to perfection in our weakness. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.